Okay, well, good morning. This is a great morning. It was supposed to be raining, and, uh, or at least cloudy, and everything else, and uh, it's just a beautiful day, gorgeous day. It's great to worship God, and uh, wasn't that a great opportunity to sing and praise Him and read His Word and read about His attributes and such this morning? Isn't it great? I have a question for you. If Paul was such a faithful preacher of the Word, if that be the case, why didn't more people believe the message? Why were the false apostles attracting more people, winning maybe more converts? Why is that? Well, the answer to that question is found in our text today in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. The mind of a lost sinner is blinded by Satan fallen man finds it easier actually to believe lies than to believe the truth of the Gospel. The Gospel is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious Gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine upon them. Therein lies the very integrity in the Gospel ministry. If you think you can somehow manipulate the outcome of preaching the Word of God and make people believe the truth, if we're ever thinking that, if we're concerned about our efforts, we have to realize we can't save anybody. We are to preach the truth. It's not by some kind of sheer force on somebody. And of course, the Muslims bring force upon people to join their religion or to surrender, to die. It's not by some kind of mental power that we have over people to make them believe. Paul couldn't even scare people because a message might bring forth hell. He couldn't even scare them into heaven. He couldn't save anybody. He couldn't reason them into salvation. He almost persuaded somebody... He couldn't suck them in by some kind of comfort that he's asking about and telling about. He couldn't do that. Why is that? Because the gospel is veiled. That's why he couldn't do it. The gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. They're in a state of death. It's the idea. We give out the gospel, and it says, and where we've studied before, that it's an aroma from death to death or from life to life. One or the other is going to happen when you tell somebody the very good news of the Gospel. Uh, He brought that forth in chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. Remember that? Still sticks in our minds as we have this aroma of the truth of the Gospel. Well, why do we preach the message then? It sure doesn't seem like too many people come to the truth of the Gospel, does it? If you go by numbers, no, they don't. Jesus told us about that. Few there be that find it. We preach that message because we're actually told to preach that message. That's why we do it. All I'm mandated to do is not change that individual, but to preach the very good news of the Gospel. I am not to preach my ideas, my stories, my great insights that I have, but I'm to preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The one who created this world. The one who created. The one who had light when He spoke. Let there be light. And He says light and people's hearts open up. 
He's the one that does that. If we are resting in divine, sovereign grace, knowing that it's all up to Him, we don't have anything to worry about. Be faithful to the truth. Don't try to come up with something that's just fantastically awesome. I just don't know how to approach Him and get them all wowed and, and get them up for this. You know, just give them what the truth says, the simple gospel. It's a divine, sovereign grace we rest on. God is the one who saves. It's not your responsibility. That takes a load off. Whenever I learned about sovereign grace, my shoulders were like this because I just wasn't telling it to people. And if they go to hell, it was my fault. That's not true. But it should make me feel guilty if I'm not giving the Gospel out. But the fact of the matter is, if I don't preach it, somebody else will. If God is going to bring them into the kingdom, He's going to make sure they get it. We're still to get it to everyone. It's a divine, sovereign grace that we rest upon. That's that's a beautiful thing. And His sovereign power. He is the light and power company. He is the power and He turns on the power. He turns on the light so that blinded men and women children can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses us to give the message, but it's the Holy Spirit's power that comes in and changes an individual who is lost in their sins. Hey, that's what we're talking about today. So let's let's stand up. Turn to chapter 4. And uh, we've been in this text this area about the New Covenant, the glorious Gospel, and that transforms us into the same image of Christ. We have this ministry. Don't back down from it. Don't quit. And then in verse 3, it says this, And even if our Gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Let's pray. Father, what a heavy text to be upon this morning. I feel absolutely inadequate to bring forth the glorious truth that is here. And I know in my weak words, this will go out and will be heard. But it's only in Your power, Lord, that it will make an impact on us so that we will be transformed into the same image of Christ, going to another level of glory this morning as we grow, as we are sanctified. Help us, Lord, to get this truth deeper into our minds so that we will know what's going on in the world What's going on with our family members who are lost? So that we will know better how to present Your truth and desire it. Thank You for this morning that we have to be able to praise You and honor You and glorify You. May we have a high view of God even more so. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4, starting at verse 3. Can't wait to get into it. It is powerful. 
I need I need you to pray. I need you to pray. Pray that we get this in a powerful way. It's by His Holy Spirit that we're transformed. That we are being transformed even right now. It's His power that does that. His power that saves us. His power that comes in and gives us understanding of the eternal truths that go way past the thoughts of mankind that cannot understand these things unless you've been born again. Now, first thing that he starts off with is even if our gospel is veiled, gospel is good news, it's euangelion. It's, it's like... Uh, Angelion is an angel, or it means message, messenger. EU is like good, good message, good news. We'll move on. And if, even if our good news is veiled, it's veiled. Kekaluminon, uh, and it means to be hidden, it means to be veiled. How much easier can we break it down? It's hidden. It's veiled. Even if our gospel is veiled, even if it's hidden, he's acknowledging the fact that the majority do not understand the gospel and neither do they want to understand it. Most are not going to respond to it. Jesus told us that many times. Furthermore, it's probably true to say that the gospel appears to be a very difficult message to comprehend for some people. But it's very basic. Of course, you think of the basic of the basic. The gospel is is God. The gospel, the good news is actually God. The good news is that He sent His Son to die for sinners, all of mankind, are sinners. But there are certain ones He died for. And His death pays the cost, the penalty. So He died for our sins. And then He was buried and He arose and He ascended. sits at the right hand of the Father. And He is Lord. It's His name. He's Lord. That's good news. But this world does not like that good news. Hates it. That's what we're getting into in this verse here, verse 3. Paul already explained that the Jewish minds were veiled because of the blindness of their hearts. And uh, we've seen that in chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. We have such a hope in the Gospel. We are bold in this Gospel. Here we go. And are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face because of the glory that had come from God as he had been in his presence. And it was too much for the people. But it would fade away. So the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened For until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. Only it can be removed in Christ. And here's a key verse 15. But to this day, whenever Moses has read the law, a veil lies over their heart. A veil. A veil. 
lies over their heart. The minds of the Jewish people, unless they turned to the Lord, which is the next verse, a person who turns to the Lord, then the veil is taken away. The mind of the Jewish people were veiled. They had blind hearts. But the minds of the Gentiles are also blinded. Everybody's eyes are blinded. Those are the people who do not understand. They do not see. They do not perceive. If the Gospel, which is what I preach, most of the people are not going to see the beauty and the glory of this great Gospel and to see the very face of Jesus Christ in it. Because it's hidden. They don't see that beauty. It's undeniable. The Gospel is plain. The Gospel is full. The object of Paul here is to state that this fact was not to be traced to a lack of clarity. See, people really got on to Paul, the ones who didn't like him, that were causing all the problem. One of the reasons why he's writing this letter is that his speech wasn't wasn't fantastic. It just didn't catch the hearer. It just wasn't good enough for them. He came in preaching to the Corinthians, Christ crucified. The simple message. Oh, he could have got beyond their thinking. He was well educated. He brought it down to the level that was the heart of the Gospel. He did speak on high doctrinal things. But the fact of the matter is, he didn't let his intelligence get in the way of the hearer. So there's an objection there. There's an argument. And he has to defend the fact that the Gospel is clear and it's full. It was revealed in its true way. It may not have brought on the feelings to the people. They brought in Gnosticism. Brought in things that would later be called Gnosticism. Brought in things that were secrets and really caught the attention of the people's thoughts. And he just preached what was right here and what God had revealed to him as he wrote it down. You see, this is why the authority of Scripture is so important. We have to preach on that every week. If there's a hidden aspect to what he preaches, it appears to the who? The ones who are perishing. As in chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. For we are a fragrance to Christ, of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Either they'll be saved, they won't be saved, they'll perish. Perishing. It's hidden to the ones who are perishing. There's two groups, aren't there? There's the perishing who are on the road to destruction. Apollyminos. Apollyon. Destruction. Then there are others who are on the road to salvation. To the one, the gospel makes no sense. To the other, it's just as plain as day. <laughs> you ever thought about that before you came to Christ? The gospel didn't mean a thing to you. You could care less. Then after you come to Christ, you can say, 
Don't they get it? It's so easy to understand. It's so simple. Yes, it is. But it's deeply profound. It goes beyond any human thinking. They can't see it. We were there. We were once there. If we've been brought to Christ, we now understand. Say, don't they get it? I don't understand why they don't get it. What's going on out there in the world? Why is all this junk happening? That's just what sinners do. Man, if they were converted, yes, wouldn't it be amazing? But they would still be sinners. (laughs) So are we. But it would be great if we would have people leading us who were Christians. But it's usually not going to be that way. Although there are Christians who do stand for truth. And I'm thankful for them. Keep praying that we have freedom to come here and to worship like this this morning. Don't ever take this for granted, folks, because you might see a day where we can't meet like this. might have to go to the woods. (laughs) Hide out. Go to the caves. Holes in the ground. I think that's scriptural in Hebrews, isn't it? Might have trouble getting water. <laughs> it does that. The veil is in the mind. It is not in the gospel. The gospel is brought to everyone to see if only they could repent. If only they could come to Christ, but no man comes to Christ except he's drawn by the Father. So the problem is not in the Gospel. It's never in the Gospel. That's not a problem. It's the fact that there is one who is perishing. He cannot understand the Word of God, and I want to emphasize that. He cannot. He's dead. Remember Ephesians 2.1. Ephesians 2.2 speaks of this area. He cannot. Romans 8 says he cannot. says Romans 8.8, 8, and those who are in the flesh, unbelievers, the flesh, cannot please God. It's impossible. As long as they're the ones that are perishing. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. You know that passage? The natural man does not receive the things I think we find that in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 14. But a natural man, before this he's talking about the ones who have the Spirit of God, understand what's going on. They understand what's happening in the world. They hate it. They understand what is happening in their families. They understand what's happening in the government, in the schools. All that stuff. And we hate it. And you should. And declare it. Make it known that this is not right. We understand it. Why is that? Because the Spirit of God has been given into our hearts. We understand those things. But it's not because you're intelligent because you understand that. It's because you're a person of God who makes us now intelligent in the things of God. And yes, that, that does mean we hate those things they do. 
But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. Boy, does that ever say it. It's absolute foolishness. They don't even say that. And he cannot understand them. Do you catch that word? They cannot understand. R.C. Sproul did a thing one time. He took a seminary student, had him lay down on the floor flat. And he was to be like looking like he was dead. R.C. Sproul went on for 15 minutes trying to convince this dead man to raise up. And he's got to play the dead man. He can kick him. He can say all sorts of things. You've got to you've got to get up. You don't know the matter of hell that is awaiting you. And say convincing, persuading things. The dead man can't move. He can't hear. He cannot respond. That's the case of an unbeliever. Do you believe that? That's probably the easiest way to understand the depravity of men. Other ones are in our text today. Blind. Blind cannot see. Hardened. Hardened cannot feel. He puts it into human words so that we can understand dead is dead. They can't respond. No matter what you say, there's a veil there. A natural man cannot. He does not. That's the thought. It's not the fault of the Gospel. Somebody who is blind or somebody who shuts their eyes that can't see the sun, is it the fault of the sun? Or sometimes the clouds go by and you can't see the sun. Is that the sun's fault? The sun is still shining as bright as it was. And in fact, you can rise above the clouds. There's a spiritual lesson right there too. <laughs> you can rise above those clouds and you can see the sun's out there. Always out there. Or at nighttime, you don't see the sun. You see the moon, but you don't see the sun. The sun is still there, right? We know that. It's not the fault of the sun. The Gospel does not obscure... It does not conceal its own glory like the sun. The sun is bright. The gospel is even more brighter. A clear and full revelation of God is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul had critics. His critics reason from the absence of a large number of converts. I think if you looked at Paul's ministry, you'd probably say, wow, that was amazing, the ministry that he did. But to all the people he preached to, he didn't win them all. Probably didn't win a whole lot. One example is when he went to Corinth or Athens before he came to Corinth. Those were the philosophers of the day, the great thinkers of the time. Great thinkers, the wisdom of the world, philosophers. So they reasoned because Look at this little group. Man, you guys probably, you just aren't doing anything right. God's not blessing you. I think we can differ with that. I think He's blessed us abundantly. I don't know about you, but man, I really enjoyed worshiping you and still am earlier, the first hour. And it continues on. To be together with God's people. This is the, this is the time I look forward to for all week. I mean, there's nothing better than this. 
It's a little picture of what the kingdom is to come. It'll be much better than this. Well, you know, he was. They would say he was not an impressive speaker. That was kind of by his design. It was deliberate. Christ and Him crucified is what He preached. One thing He does not allow is that there is some fault with the message. There is no fault with the message. Listen, I may be dull and boring whenever I come out bringing forth truth. I hope not. That's not my idea. I don't want that. I want the power of God to be there. But I can be dull and boring to people. But the fact of the matter is what we're talking about here is God's truth. And it's not boring. Never, ever. I mean, it, it, it never fails. It is not faulty whatsoever. And it's not because Paul did not present the truths of the Gospel. We know that. He did it plainly. It's a beauty. The beauty of the Gospel is hidden to most of the people in the world today and it has been all throughout. Simple fact. Millions Billions to whom the Gospel has been preached see no beauty in the Gospel. It's incredible, isn't it? They see no beauty. They see no glory in it. You know what it is? It's absolutely foolishness. Bob and I got a treat this week from somebody on Facebook saying... We don't know about the Bible. Is it? There's really uh, no truth to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and actually, I've heard her say she's actually a relative. I've actually heard her say that she didn't even believe in God. But really, you know, okay, she believed in God. And then I think Bob had a question, and, and he asked, "Well, how do you know that? How do you how do you know those that thing about God?" Good question. Very good. Matter of fact. I was thinking the same thing. How do you... Okay, if you don't believe in the Bible... No, no. It's all... Matter of fact, it was called garbage. And all the other religions are garbage. Christianity is garbage. But you'd only know that through the Word of God. If He didn't reveal Himself through His Word, we would never... Nobody would believe in God. That's why people make up gods. They make up idols. They, matter of fact, even make themselves gods. And basically, that's the problem with everybody. Because we want to do what we want to do. We're selfish. And we are God. I'm going to call the shots. And that's... Christianity says no. God calls all the shots. He's absolutely sovereign. Whatever He does, it's His will. I want His will and nothing else, right? If a Christian is short of that, they're not a Christian. Right? By your will, it's to be done. I don't want it to be done my will. Right? Jesus said that. And that was meant for us to say. Hidden wisdom. But why would the apostle put an if on this? If our gospel is veiled. It is veiled to those who perish. No, wait a minute. Somebody could say, see, the Bible contradicts itself. Because there are other places where we see that There are things hidden in God from the beginning of the world. There's treasures of wisdom that are hidden. Everything is hidden in Christ, Colossians 3 says. 
Yes, in the Old Covenant, there were things concealed. The Gospel was always there, but it is not as plain and clear as it is now. What a privilege we have to live in this time. But God now has made known the mystery of His will. According to Hebrews chapter 1, the first three verses, He now, rather than speaking through so many different ways, the prophets, the dreams, and the visions, has now revealed Himself in the person of who? Jesus Christ. And now the veil has been torn, as represented in the temple, where it was torn from top to bottom. We now have access into the Holy of Holies of all places. Unbelievable. We can have access, go straight to God in our prayers. No longer veil. Ceremonial law, that's all done away. Christ fulfilled it all. The lost and perishing are in a condition eternally. If they don't trust in Christ, Christ has redeemed His people. Holy Spirit brings His power into one. They're converted. Some people will be lost forever. Gospel always hidden. Because that's the way they want it. Try to put it together. Satan blinds you, but at the same time, you are held responsible. Mankind is held responsible for his sin. He will be left to his native blindness of his mind. He's given up to a reprobate mind, as it says in Romans 1. God just turns it over to their lust. And that's where the whole idolatry thing finally gets to the point of one of the worst acts that one can see besides murder is homosexuality. He uses that illustration, Romans 1. New Testament it's found. Not only Old Testament, New Testament. He said, why do you bring that up? He says he turns them over to their lust. He lets them do what they're doing. Can you see what's going on today? Despicable sin. But some of those people are going to be worshiping God forever too. They will be delivered from that sin as well as some have been. The sin of murder, we think of probably even worse, killing somebody. I think David did that. Is he a believer? Yeah. Moses? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Saving grace. I don't understand this. Neither do the angels. (laughs) They long to look into these kind of things. It's amazing, isn't it? Do you see some beauty in this this gospel? Well, it comes down to this. The influence of the prince of darkness is what's happening. Quite an influence. As we see here, they're perishing. It's veiled to those who are perishing. Apollo Menoi, it means to be lost be perishing, dying in their sins, can't see the truth, don't want the truth. The Gospel is conspicuous. Yet like the sun, it would not be visible to the blind. 
The cause is not in the gospel. It's in themselves. They're perishing. They were hastening to their merited ruin. Palomenoi, it's a ruin. That's the idea, to ruin. They're headed headlong by the billions. There are, I think there are like six billion people now. I used to say four billion back years ago. Six billion? And I think only something like a billion or so profess to be Christ out of those six billion. That means five, six. But do you think everybody that professes Christ is a believer? Many of those are pretenders. These people see no beauty in it. Let's go to the Scriptures and let's look at the word perish. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. Our same book that we're in. We've read it. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. He's used that word before in this letter two chapters ago. The ones who are perishing. It's a stench to them when you bring the Gospel. You ever felt uncomfortable when you brought the news to somebody? Or you feel uncomfortable about somebody and you know that if you bring it to them, it'll just be casting pearls before swine and there's no use to even say anything sometimes. You're a stench. You really are. You'd be okay if you weren't a Christian. Have you ever heard that one? Or felt it? <laughs> Luke 13.3 I like the way that you used to be. I like the whenever you used to party and go out and drink with us. I like it whenever you guys... When, when, when you used to smoke with us, when you used to take the heavy, heavy stuff, we like that. We don't like you now. What happened? I got converted. <laughs> they don't want any more part of you. Luke 13, 3. I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Sounds like I'm really enjoying this kind of message, doesn't it? I really don't enjoy that. I don't. But this is the words of Christ right here. It's rather harsh, isn't it? And so part of the Gospel is about repentance. And not repenting means hell fire. A punishment forever, literally. Verse 5, I tell you, no. Jesus has to repeat it. But unless you repent, metanoia, change your thinking and your actions. Metanoia, to change your mind. Change mind are the two parts to that word. You're going to perish. You're going to go to ruin, to destruction. Romans 2.12 We're just looking up the word perish right now. We've heard this word in the Bible. Wow, Bob, what would happen if we had brought up this thing? Actually, the conversation pretty well stopped. I think when we asked the 
question, right? Romans 2, 12. For all who have sinned without the law, even people who don't have a law, the Gentiles, will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. They too will perish, right? Without the law, even without that, they have a conscience. They have an understanding. They're held responsible for their sins. 1 Corinthians one eighteen. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's not foolishness to us, is it? If it were, we'd been out of here half an hour ago. Where the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Who are being saved? Yeah, we were saved. Past tense. We are being saved, and that's justified. We are being saved, that's sanctified. Right now, we're being saved. Christ is interceding for us right now. He's saving us now. And we will be saved at glorification. Justification, sanctification, glorification. This is what He's doing to us right now. Sanctifying us. We are being saved. We know that. That it's the very dunamis of God. It's the dynamite of God. The Gospel is the dynamite. It's powerful. Sounds like Romans 1. But to the ones who are perishing... It's absolutely ridiculous. It's foolishness. They don't get it. They don't care. Second Thessalonians chapter two verse ten. It's all about perishing. It's what we're looking up at the moment. Second Thessalonians two ten. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. That's what we have to know. You try to figure all this out? How is it that God can uh, choose some and then not choose others and still hold them responsible? Now you're getting into the deep things of God and it's absolutely true even when we don't understand the depth of it. But it says here, they're deceived. The wickedness up there, because they didn't receive the love of the truth, they're going to perish. And there are other ones that are saved. First Corinthians, go to John 3.19. kind of gets us into the born again and then the light that happens there, but then the darkness... Everybody knows John 3.16. Here's 19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And men loved the darkness. In the other passage, what is it that they didn't love? The truth. They loved the darkness rather than the light. The truth, or it's also called what? Light. The gospel. What is it? Truth. It's light. 
the light of the glory of the gospel. Right? For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light. And that's really Christ. And does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And there's the answer. This is why they don't want a God to be spoken of in the schools, in the government, anything out in the secular world. They don't want Him to be mentioned because their evil deeds are exposed by God. They know. They know right from wrong. There's still a sense there until finally they are so darkened until they're so callous that they don't even feel it anymore. Romans talks about that, where God gives it over to their lust. There are a lot of them that don't even feel that anymore. They're so callous. Some know it's still a difference. But the more they hear it from others, the more people accept it, the more numbers we have, the more we keep preaching this same word everywhere. And there's threats that people will lose their job. You have these thought police, no matter what you say anymore, if it's not politically correct, they call you on it. Matter of fact, if, you, if you're an athlete and you do that, you get kicked off the team and out of football, basketball, baseball, whatever. All those things going on. Of course, the national anthem where now you have people sitting down, you know, whatever, you know, all those things. That Here it is. The deeds are exposed when you start mentioning real truth. They don't want it. They don't want to hear that. They run to the darkness. They run to like cockroaches spreading when the lights turned on. You ever see them? They're out in the middle of the kitchen. They're going crazy. And guess what? Man, they are gone. The light is on. Okay. um, We go to the next section here. We see the reality of unbelief. That's what that whole section was about. Is it real? Is it reality? According to Scripture, what does it say? It was all for just one Scripture after another. That's just the truth. I could preach a feel-good, positive message and not ever mention hell or sin, wickedness and evil and all those kind of bad words. Don't use those in your preaching because it will turn people off and they'll walk out and we'll lose people. What's the gospel to you? I'll lose people too. But also people say, What? What what's that? Well, that sounds like that sounds like an answer. That sounds like the truth. What about those people that don't believe? Well, there's a cause for it. The cause of unbelief. We see it here in our text today. There's a cause for this unbelief. It's found in verse four. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Satan does it. Those minds are going to continue in unbelief unless God comes in and does work. You know why? They're subjects of Satan. They're under the rulership of him. People say, well, we have, we have free will. Yeah, the free will under the bondage of Satan to continue to do the sin that you continue to do, that you were born in. Satan, what he does, you know, they're, they're already dark. They're already dead. What Satan does is deepen the darkness. 
He blinds them even. It gets darker. He makes it harder. He increases the hardness on them. You say, well, already dead. He makes them more dead. (laughs) That's why the darkness gets blacker. Who is meant by the God of this world? That's God, right? That's a God that we worship. A God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving? I think it's not God. God we know. By the way, it's interesting. The word for God here is actually theos. Theology. Theo, theos. It has a little G here in our English, of course, but whose case the God of this world I project for us that this God of this world is Satan. He's not in control, ultimately. We know that. He's only under the authority of God Almighty. And he uses this word here to get it, to show where they, he's not a God properly. But it's a reference to all the ones who are these ones who are perishing. They are ruled by Him as they live in this world. They serve Satan. What did Bob Dylan say? You've got to serve somebody? He either serves Satan. You serve God Almighty. You're underneath one of those wills. You don't serve yourself. And people are so deluded. Most people think they're serving themselves. They think they're living for themselves. It's all about me. Right? Nowhere else in Scripture can we find this where Satan is called the God of this world. This God of this world has his own slaves, has his own servants. Nowhere else do we find him called the God of this world, but we do see in John 12:31 where Jesus called him quite a, a term that was of major leadership John 12:31 Now judgment is upon this world now the ruler of this world will be cast out the ruler of this world he's the ruler John 14:30 Jesus keeps with that theme Tells about the good news. The Holy Spirit will be coming. He says, oh, by the way, here's what's going to happen if you don't have the Holy Spirit. John 14, I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of the world is coming. And he has nothing in me. John 16, 11. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Speaking in prophetical term because of the cross. That's the ultimate judgment where Satan, sin, death, hell was beaten. Satan has been judged. He's doing his time right now. Thinking he's doing his will. God uses him. Well, there's ruler of this world. How about Ephesians 2? Where it talks about depravity of man. Radical 
depravity. Dead in trespass and sin. But you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of this world. We have nothing to fear. He's not our ruler. He can bark all the orders that he wants at me. I'm on the other side of the fence. Don't listen to him. He's not your boss anymore. Who are you? Not listening to you. My captain's over here. Second Timothy two twenty six. They may come to their senses. He prays that they come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. He's the deceiver. The devil. First John five nineteen. Oh, this is a good way to term it. This is really good. We're looking at our enemy, folks. Even though we've been set free from him, he's still our enemy. It's one of the reasons why we have such battles constantly. One of the enemies. We know that we are of God. Can we say that? Is that right? We are of God. And that the whole world lies in the power of God, of the evil one. Now, if it would have said the God of this world at that time, it might have been kind of uh, confusing because he's talked about God. We are of God. But the whole world lies in the lap of the wicked one, of the evil one. So what have we learned by looking at these passages? Why do we look at so many? Well, we see that He's the God of this world. He's the Prince of this world. He's the Ruler of this world. He's the Devil. He's the Evil One in this world. Let's look at some of the actions that He does as He is the Ruler of this world. 1 Corinthians 5.5 Here are some of the actions. I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan hmm, for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. This is church discipline. I thought it was going to be sticking on somebody who was outside the church. We're talking about, Paul says, turn him over to the devil. Scriptural. Why? Because he was abusing his privileges as a Christian. And he was making a mockery. He was defiling the church. He must be disciplined. The reason for discipline, though, is that they would be restored and come back to the church. You can't leave one in that kind of sin and worship with them so that their spirit may be saved. That If they're really true, that, that they'd be restored here. That's one of the things that he's around for. God uses Satan in that way. Wow. Chapter 7, verse 5. 
Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He's talking about a couple here. Sometimes, and I don't have time to go into the depth of this, but he's just saying that a couple, there comes a time they need to come back together again. Um, self-control. Um, Satan can really use that situation. Second uh, Corinthians 2.11 I think everybody is familiar with this passage. We turn there anyway. Second, seven said, For that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Don't let Satan take advantage of you. Know his schemes. Know about that. Second Corinthians 11, verse 14. This is in the book that we're studying. Second Corinthians. There's a lot to be said about the doctrine of Satan, isn't there? Second Corinthians 11, verse 14. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Looks like it's real. Very deceptive, Satan is. He has much more intelligence than all of us put together. But we are on the side of God. And we know the Word of God too. And we have the Spirit of God. And that's the reason that we don't have to fall prey to the enemy every time we can defeat him through the power of Christ. I mean, that is possible, isn't it? There he's just saying, hey, he, uh, he's an angel of light. Be careful. Escaping the snare of the devil. First Thessalonians 2.18 is about Satan hindering. What a work he does. He's the God of this world. World there is not cosmos, which much of the time it is. Or you think of cosmos. Cosmos, Greek. The word here is ionos, and it means age. Of the age. Satan controls the ideologies of the thinking that man has, Satan is controlling those wicked ideologies that go against God's truth. That's what's happening. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, that happens to be the book that we're in. Boy, there's a lot of stuff that we're going to be covering as weeks and months go by. He had a lot to say about the enemy, didn't he? Why? Because he, he faced the enemy every day. That's why he's writing this book. Here we go. Here's what we're to do. Verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive. It's all here in our minds. We're taking it captive to the obedience of Christ. And we're ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Ultimately, when Christ comes back. We're in warfare. And we're not speaking fleshly things here. It goes far above that. You can think of Ephesians 6 
We're in warfare there, and it's, it's a spiritual warfare. And this is where we win. We win the battles in our minds. The battlefield is the mind. Because there is philosophy out there today. That's why the government, the schools, all they're doing. The psychology, the education, the sociology, the ethics, the economics, whatever you want to name, it's there. It's all embedded. Satan is the mastermind of it all with mankind just being pawns as Satan works a bigger war. And it goes to the unseen forces in high places. The battle is on. Satan's greatest influence is the matter of false religion. Because even people who are churched can be deceived by the enemy. He loves false teaching. He loves it and he uses it so much. Run short on time. Part 3. We saw the cause of unbelief. Do you see the cause? Satan. Blinds the minds of the unbeliever. We've already seen that they're already dead in the trespassing sins. Satan comes along and makes it even worse. And so sin is stacked upon sin. And in Romans it says, I think it's in Romans 2, that all those things will be held against the sinners. If, they, if the cross is not used for them. The sin will have to be paid eternally. That's how wicked sin is. Here's the result of unbelief. It's found in our 2 Corinthians. Verse 4. 4-4. Four, four, we're finishing this up here. And this will go into our next section, 5 and 6. Can't wait to that. Because hmm. verse 4 ties in with verse 6. All I'm going to do is whet your appetite. Because this is incredibly glorious, beautiful, mind-blowing truth. That's what God has given us about this light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Or in verse 4, the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The result of unbelief, though, is that they wouldn't see this. That's the result. They'll never see the beauty of God. They'll never experience what we have experienced this morning. Have you experienced the beauty of Christ today? If you've opened up your Bible and you've read anything here, you've experienced His beauty. Did you feel anything? I hope so. But even if you didn't, the truth is there. That makes the impact. That's what is, counts. Not some kind of false kind of thing that looks like you know we're really, really spiritual. Blinded. The minds are blinded. 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 Them. Those perishing unbelievers are not merely veiled. Now he says they're blinded. He goes one step further. They're veiled. They're blinded. Blinding, darkening, hardening. It's all the same thing. It's done by people who are rebels against God. Pharaoh was a rebel against God. He hardened his heart. Do I have time to go into Exodus? Chapter 7? Around that area. He hardened his heart 
God hardened his heart. He was already hardened. God hardened him further. Pharaoh hardened himself even further. God hardened him even further. And all the way to the very last miracle that actually happened, but the plagues as far as Egypt is concerned, he what you would have thought by that time. But he was so hardened that truth wasn't truth, even though he knew better. It already, how many times does it have to happen? For him, ten times. He just didn't get it. Never was. And he got hardened as time got went on. You know what? They're diverted from hearing the gospel. They could hear it all day long. They'll be diverted from it. They they did not see the beauty. Not see the glory of the plan of redemption. The tremendous, awesome story of redemption and they don't see it. People can put just a little quarter over one eye, close the other one, look up at the sun. You know what? They don't see it. The sun's there, but they are diverted. There's something that's blocking that. They don't see the light of the sun. can't see the beauty of the landscape, the path that leads to truth. It is truth. All is dark. All is obscure. All is destitute of beauty. There's a hardening. Romans 1 talks about that. Hardening, I probably have been talking about it. There's idolatry that people are. People are under the control of the very mastermind of of this world. Well conceived by Him. People are debased. They're sunken. They're polluted. They're degraded. How many words can we use really where they're at? And we're talking about just unbelievers and say, well, they're, they're not that bad of people. They're, they're really nice and they really do a lot of nice things. They may, they may do a lot more than we'll ever do. But if they haven't trusted in the Gospel, they are polluted. They're degraded. They pervert the will of God. They don't have the right value of objects. They shut out the light of the sun. The glory of the midday sun is there and they don't see it. The pleasure, the ambition the importance in the view of their mind is indulgence of passion. Whatever they want, they want to be able to do. And to get away with it. Scenes of gaiety that people are involved with, the partying that goes on with, without knowledge of Christ over themselves, the gambling houses, the infamy houses, the polluted houses, land that's covered with taverns and dram shops, as one said, given the opportunity everywhere for the full gospel, and yet they're unrestrained in their indulgence of passion. The gospel is to be seen like the glory of the sun. In the darkest night, though, is where those people are found. It's their minds. And closing on out, minds is noema. And it's the ability to reason, think. It's, the, it's this faculty that, that thinks. Their mind has been blinded in that battleground. Satan is for men's minds. 
their veils. They're blinded. Satan can pervert people. He can derange people. He distracts their attention from truth. He directly affects the minds of these people. He deludes and ultimately destroys them. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says they cannot understand the truth. 2 Corinthians 3.14 which is where we have been. Where it talked about their minds are hardened. Romans 1.28 we talked about that earlier this morning. They don't see the light of the glorious gospel and that's where we'll have to get into next week. But to close this out, and that word for light is photizo. Photo, dealing with light. The light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Is this a beautiful picture? Philpot had a great quote on this. Oh, exclamation point, what beauty and blessedness shine forth in the gospel when we view it connected with the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Take the doctrines of grace isolated from the person of Christ. They're scattered limbs. There's no beauty in them. But view the truths of the gospel in connection with the person and work of the Son of God. Oh, what a heavenly light. What a divine glory is cast upon every truth connected with His sacred person. The atoning blood, the finished work, and dying love. Think of the attributes of God that's found in Jesus Christ. Think of those words that we said in the confession. Keep that in your bulletin. Use that in your prayer because you're speaking the beauty of Christ. You're perceiving the beauty of Christ. God alone is the one who turns on the light. We are sitting here realizing that I'm understanding this. This is truth. This is the truth of the universe. This is the truth of the ages. And how can me, little uneducated me, understand this? Well, the object of the God of this world was not just to prevent people from being illuminated, but to stop the shining forth altogether that they might not see. That's what's happening out there. That's what's going on in our world. He's trying to delude people to the point that they will never have a chance to see. And we get to look upon this one. We see the light of the Gospel, the good news, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And in verse 6, He's the one who has shown in our hearts, there's light, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory. Have you had a glimpse of His glory this morning? Of God in the face of Christ. What a privilege. We are made in the image of Christ as Christ is the very image of God. 
The veil has been removed. The hearts have been now opened up, no longer darkened. We have the radiance of the beautiful, glorious Gospel so that we can understand and perceive this glory which is in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, that more would believe. We have the news. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this Word. Thank You for this truth because it is an aroma of life to all those who believe. But also to the ones who do not believe if they do not want it, it's an aroma that is a stench, that is death. Lord, what a message it is for the believer. It gives us great encouragement. And it tells us why all the craziness is happening. All around us in this age that we live in, Satan is blinding the minds of the unbelievers. So that they will be judged eternally as he will be judged eternally and punished. Thank you, Lord, by your grace. You saved us. You redeemed us. We live in your kingdom. What great news it is. We have been blessed. In Jesus' name, amen.